This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Aquarium Mania. I'm your host, Dr. Roy Anong, speaking to you from the University of Florida IFAS Tropical Aquaculture Laboratory. Thanks for joining us. Aquarium retail stores are the primary gateway to the hobby for many beginners. How do large retail chains work to ensure healthy, quality animals and to provide good fishkeeping information? My guest today, Jay Springer, is Director of Live Animals and Veterinarian Services for Pet Supplies Plus, one of the largest pet store chains in the U.S. Join us as Jay discusses his professional journey, dedication to quality service, industry challenges, and the future of the hobby. We'll be right back after these messages. How many of you have pets? My hand's raised. Now think about how lucky you are to have such a sweet little pet in your life. And that pet is lucky to have you too. But unfortunately, there are countless pets out there that don't have a home to call their own. However, Bob's from Skechers is trying to change that. So we developed Bob's for dogs and cats to help pets in need. With every purchase of adorable Bob's footwear or fun, stylish apparel, or even the cutest Bob's pet accessories, Skechers makes a donation to Petco Love to help save shelter pets. And with your help, we've already saved the lives of over 1 million pets and raised over $7 million. So while you're getting style and comfort with features like Skechers' famous memory foam cushioning, you're also helping to save an adorable pet in need and helping another lucky owner be connected with a future best friend and companion because happiness is having a loving pet by your side. Find Bob's at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, select pet co-locations, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Aquarium Mania on Pet Life Radio. My guest today is Jay Springer, Director of Live Animals and Veterinarian Services at Pet Supplies Plus. Thanks for joining us, Jay. No, thank you for having me. Glad to be here. So, as you probably know, I kind of like to get a little personal before we talk more shop. Before we get into your current work, let's talk a little bit of history and how you got into the pet and aquarium hobby. Do you remember how old you were when you first set up or enjoyed your first aquarium or or your first pet or both? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's uh, absolutely where the fun started. You know, I was probably five years old. My mom was uh, very big into not only fish, but into pretty much every critter we could get our hands on. So we definitely started setting up tanks at, at about five years old. And, and that definitely went in through my teenage years with her. So we definitely enjoyed that and, and really got to play with a couple different species back then. And, you know, we, we started with goldfish, went into guppies, went into tetras and, and played a little bit with cichlids. But uh, her and I really liked, you know, guppies and tetras and, and pretty much community type tank. But uh, been going since I, was a, since I was a little boy. So for you, that was what, maybe six, seven years ago, I guess? Yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah, eight. <laughs> so uh, what what do you remember about the aquarium hobby back when you were growing up? You know, maybe maybe not necessarily talking about relative today, but just in general, do you remember anything specific and, and maybe some things that were a little different back then? So if I really think back, it's LFS local fish stores. Um, they were everywhere. Uh, my mom and I were able to go into local fish stores. You'd see racks upon racks of fish tanks and 
people that were super passionate about the industry, you know, and, and, and over the last 20 years or so, you, you kind of see some of that move to some of the big box and some of the different stuff, but there's, you know, unfortunately there's less and less local fish stores out there to really enjoy just fish. But back then it was really, you know, the wide array of different fish and species that were available. And, and really just, you know, since then seeing the change of filtration and water quality and some of the different things that have come you know, over the last 20 years, because that back then wasn't as prominent or there definitely wasn't the technology. So I guess maybe we can talk now that you're, you know, kind of a, a grown up, I guess. Uh, what would you say are your favorite fish species and tank setups today? Well, you know, I'm very partial. Uh, my daughter and I are very partial to her community tank, which has a lot of glowfish in it, has some some normal tetras and, and stuff like that. We like to keep it, you know, very easy. But I am a saltwater guy. I do have a saltwater fish tank at home, so I, I do I do enjoy that. Something that's a little harder, a little more difficult. But uh, you know, I spent most of my years, and especially with my kids, really just focused on the community fish. I absolutely love guppies, mollies, platies, tetras to this day. Uh, they're still a fun industry fish. Great to hear. And uh, obviously, I'm always happy to hear when, uh, you know, kids are involved. So I'm glad you're hopefully making them addicted to fish. That's kind of what we, we sort of need. So, <laughs> but so kind of in doing a little bit of research for this, in one of your profiles, I saw that you double majored in marketing and also management with organizational behavior. Those are kind of heady, you know, business type things. Were you working in the pen industry by then? And or what made you kind of decide on these areas to study? Yeah, no, absolutely. When I was a kid, I, of course, thought I was going to be a veterinarian. I uh, thought I was going to be, you know, working in a zoo. And then real life hit and I didn't get the luxury of that. But uh, no, I, I got my degrees midway through my career in my 30s. I was, you know, well deep into my career with PetSmart at the time. So I was I was doing, you know, triple duty between work, the kids and school. But yeah, I, I got it later in life and I picked those majors because it applied very well to what I had learned so far in my career. And the marketing side of it really played to what I didn't get to do much in my daily life and career and, and something I was, I was passionate about and really liked and, you know, to have on uh, the resume if I get that chance in the future. So I guess maybe let's say pre Pet Supplies Plus, what were maybe some of the lessons you learned kind of during that process when you were working and going through anything specific that you think kind of helped you as you started Pet Supplies Plus? That's a period of my life that really got me hooked into the live animal business. I started there when I was a teenager. I left PetSmart in the in the mid when I was in my mid 30s, so I spent an enormous amount of time there. You know, and some of the things I learned, you know, was going from any company from the 90s into the the 2012s, 2015 era, you watch so much move and grow and the learnings that go with that. You know, I, I held multiple, you know, management positions there, which you you really see the advancement of what the industry has what the pet industry was back then and what it is now um, and year after year watching it grow and, and really the learnings there was pet retail is different. It really is different than most other retails when you look at, you know, Walmart or Target. Uh, so when when you look at pet retail, you can, you know, have a, a stressful day and turn around and see a cat, a dog, a horse, fish, reptiles. So it, it's a great industry to be in, but really just the the learnings and leadership of what it takes to to really move a great business forward was a huge learning I'll never forget. So you, you kind of gave us a little bit of uh, insight into your professional journey to Pet Supplies Plus. Is there anything you want to add to that? And also what's your current role 
in a PSP? Oh, absolutely. So yeah, I started in this industry at Petland back in the very early 90s. Then I went over to PetSmart when I realized who they were because I didn't at the time. They were that small. But then I spent 18 years with those guys and that morphed when I transferred and moved up to North Ohio. There was you know this position open up here and, and Pet Supplies Plus was a, a very unique retailer and that's why I ended up moving over here is because it's franchise-based. And in my PetSmart world for 18 years, it was all corporate-based and, and really didn't get to understand or, or realize you know, what the franchise model was all about. I had a little bit of taste of it when I was at Petland at a very young age, um, but that's really where and why I kind of morphed over to Pet Supplies Plus. And, and in Northeast Ohio, there's 30 locations just in the greater you know, Cleveland DMA, so very prominent up here, very well known. My current position is Director of Live Animals, and it focuses 24 hours a day on live animals for Pet Supplies Plus. My job and, and my very small team, you know, we are in charge of not only standard operating procedures, but the health and wellness, the field operations, along with the vendor network and getting all of the animals to the stores and to the franchise owners. Um, so it's a it's a very fun job, but uh, it is 100% focused on live animals and protecting the live animal business and making sure it's done well in across the entire chain. So about how many stores are there? And you guys are um, uh, primarily U.S.-based, right? We are 100% U.S.-based. We are over 650 stores and growing. We are growing it on a franchise model. We open a couple corporate stores a year, but for the most part, we have franchisees that are opening stores. We're roughly opening 80 a year for the next couple of years. So it's a, it's a very big growth phase and, and fun time for Pet Supplies Plus. Wow. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty uh, major. So- what are some of the major challenges with running, you know, this large chain that you are, you know, PSP and how do you handle the franchises? How do you manage, you know, and, and I guess with such variety, I'm assuming amongst the franchisees, how do you handle all that as well, I guess? Yeah, so that's a, it's a great question. And really, it comes down to one people and consistency. So in the live animal world, what I've realized over the last 25 years, the more consistent you can be, the easier and more simple it can be to take care of, of these animals and, and really do it really well, the better you're going to be. And not only better for the pet, but for the customers, for the franchise owners, et cetera. Because really when it comes to consistency, the easier it is for us as retailers to execute and set very high standards is absolutely paramount and key. You know, and people play that big part of it, as you know, that without great people that really, you know, care and have the passion for pets, um, it can be a struggle. But again, when you find and help develop some of those passionate people that are enthusiasts, it makes taking care of live animals, selling live animals, and really growing that industry much easier. But that's usually, you know, the, the greatest challenge is can we get consistent execution for the health of the animals and start developing passionate enthusiasts along the way. So and definitely, you know, I, I kind of know what you mean by consistency. Can you maybe explain to some of the listeners, you know, like what, what are some of the things you guys do to try to maintain and, you know, elevate that consistency? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, we've learned a lot from professionals like yourself, you know, that when, when we set consistent processes in place that when the fish get fed at a certain time, when the tanks get cleaned at a certain time, uh, if they're cleaned a certain way each and every day, each and every week, small mammals, birds, reptiles are the same way. The more consistent you can keep 
you know, their diet or their process or their stress level mainly is very good for them. And, and really the biggest thing we look at across all species is, and, and what I try and train, you know, everybody in my company when I do my trainings is to reduce stress, especially on fish. Sometimes fish are the the forgotten ones because they're not warm and fuzzy. But again, it's, it's really looking at how do you reduce stress? And you do that with consistent water quality, testing your water, taking care of, you know, of, of cleaning procedures and, and feeding them correctly, et cetera. So it's really just focused on, can we do the least amount of things the best we possibly can? Yeah, definitely makes sense. Now we've kind of talked about your past history um, with the aquarium hobby. How would you describe the current demographics of the fish keepers now versus maybe the past 10, 15, 20, 25 years? I would say younger and they're becoming more and more educated. So the great thing is I think what I've seen over the last 20, 25 years, the industry's gotten smarter. So not only have, you know, veterinary professionals explored and learned more, product manufacturers have explored and done more research. Our live, you know, breeders or distributors have done more work and research. So ultimately that makes it down to the retail side or or my level to where we are seeing much more educated, not only consumers, but, you know, people that are wanting to work for us to where when I started in the 90s, I was one of the guys that potentially had the most information or most knowledge in my store. When ultimately I probably wasn't that knowledgeable, I was learning as I went, but it seems like nowadays we are getting more and more, not only advanced with technology, but with people and, and what the industry knows and expects. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it definitely makes sense. Um, you know, there's a lot more access to info, you know, good or bad. And I, I'm guessing you, you probably deal with people that maybe have some bad information, but, um, yeah, you're right there. There definitely seems to be a lot more education out there. So I guess, you know, you obviously are working with a really large number of franchisees, a lot of stores. Do you see differences kind of across the U.S., you know, with regard to demographics, aquariums, you know, what type of fish people like? I'm just, you know, curious, you know, West versus East, you know, South, any, anything kind of that strikes you? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's funny that that's, you know, one of the things my team and I, we do each year and throughout the year, to be honest, is really look at some of those trends or see what we could provide to customers in certain demographics. And really, you know, there is a difference between the California West Coast versus Texas versus Florida versus call it the New England area. Midwest is very unique, you know, and, and really some of the pockets that you look at, the Midwest is probably one of the most consistent. When you get that big giant pocket in the middle of the United States, we all deal with the same weather, the the same seasons and all that. So fish cells or fish types, you know, are very similar in that, that area. You get down to Florida, Texas, California, sometimes the species might get a little bit more unique or customers, consumers down there, a little bit more hip to different koi or different cichlids or different species that uh, may not be as, as prevalent up in the Midwest, but saltwater always varies. You know, sometimes there's a myth that when you get to the coast or more, you know, affluent areas that saltwater is big. I've got uh, just a handful of saltwater stores, not many, but the couple I do, we've put in locations that do extremely well and they're not high income or affluent. It is a great business than the fish businesses is wonderful. And it's just a matter of getting it in the right area. But when you look at species of fish, the normal fish in the market, the mollies, platies, tetras, guppies, all of those great fish are still the most consistent sellers. 
across the United States in almost every store. Um, and it's that very unique small piece of the pie of cichlids sell really well over here. Koi and goldfish sell really well over here, you know, and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, it, it's over time, it's still that 60, 70, 80% are still the the bread and butters and the, the consistent fish across the United States. We're going to take a short break in a sec, but I had one more quick question before we do that. I was kind of thinking about you know, the breadth of the differences around the U.S. and interest, that sort of thing. And, you know, with, with all the growth you guys are going to be experiencing or are experiencing now, how do you sort of determine where the next franchise should go? You know, whether the, you know, the people that are going to be working it are the right people? What, what are some of kind of the processes you all do to look at that? So we've got a, a a phenomenal franchise recruitment team at, at the office that that does just that. That's what they work on. You know, they work very close with the real estate team because, again, a couple factors come in of where do the franchise owners live? Because most of our franchise owners, you know, want to be part of the operations and want it close to where they live. So sometimes the sites are looked at close to them and in their general city or area. But uh, you know, a lot of times it, it's looking at we're a smaller uh, footprint neighborhood pet store. So we can go in some different shopping centers or different locations that some of the big stores cannot. So we're always looking for those a little bit smaller areas, those smaller trade markets to where one of our stores would fit well. Um, and then from there, it is absolutely just a, a vetting process to ask a lot of great questions of a prospective owner and see what their interest is and, and why they want to own a pet store. And normally when you ask a, a couple questions of why you want to own a pet store, it, it's pretty obvious why they want to own a pet store. And it's to to have fish and pets. Well, that sounds good. And yeah, definitely sounds like you have a great team. Let's take a short break and we'll continue our discussion with my guest, Jay Springer, Director of Live Animals and Veterinary Services at Pet Supplies Plus after these messages. Take a bite out of your competition. Advertise your business with an ad in Pet Life Radio podcasts and radio shows. There is no other pet-related media that is as large and reaches more pet parents and pet lovers than Pet Life Radio. With over 7 million monthly listeners, Pet Life Radio podcasts are available on all major podcast platforms. And our live radio stream goes out to over 250 million subscribers on iHeartRadio, Odyssey, TuneIn, Stitcher, and other streaming apps. For more information on how you can advertise on the number one pet podcast and radio network, visit PetLifeRadio.com slash advertise today. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. We're back and continuing our conversation with my guest, Jay Springer, Director of Live Animals and Veterinary Services at Pet Supplies Plus. So, Jay, yeah, we were kind of going into some of the kind of challenges and some of the cool things about you know working with so many different stores in so many different parts of the U.S. I guess a few more things uh, that, that kind of are coming to mind question-wise. Are you seeing anything interesting with regard to new trends in aquatic-related areas? Any kind of new items or, you know, pieces of uh, filtration or, you know, that sort of thing, or even maybe new species that are, are of interest? Yeah, a couple things there, you know, and, and it, the great thing is, is through the last couple of years, you know, especially through, you know, some of the COVID times, it really 
I think helped some of the companies and manufacturers out there kind of ramp up and really come out with some new innovations. You know, when we talk about some of the new glowfish that are coming out, the Corydoras and some of the different, you know, really cool ones out there. When we start looking at the amount of different betas that are being offered, the amount of different guppies that come in and out are absolutely phenomenal. You know, and and when we look at it, the, the great thing about the fish industry is is plants and ornaments are are similar to, you know, what I would consider sweaters and, and apparel for dogs and cats. They come in and out. There's always cool stuff coming, new colors, new caves and stuff like that. But where I really think you know, the fun part of the industry over the last, you know, couple years mainly has really been the advancements in filtration, the the bioballs into the industry now to help with the cycling of the water and to really help, you know, protect some of the the breakdowns that, that people have, you know, have been a great advancement because, you know, honestly, that's the biggest issue that we deal with out there as a retailer is you know, people struggling to keep their fish alive or to keep the water right. Um, and that's our job to help them with. And I think some of the advancements there are significantly helping not only the the retailer, but the end consumer do it better. So kind of a great lead into my next question. What are some of the important things that beginning hobbyists should know? And, and what are some of the things that you and PSP are doing to help educate the hobbyists? Absolutely. You know, and, and I think that the biggest thing is we always look in what are the frustration levels and, and fish being one of the most abandoned pets, you know, in the United States, we're here to help that. We're here to stop that. Um, if we can get people not frustrated or successful or more successful fish, then, then we're succeeding. And that's really what we work on trying to train our teams on and really work with them on is, you know, how do you get a fish into a, a new tank or a new environment um, and acclimate them correctly? And really what we try and educate them on is do they have the right setup? Uh, are they mixing with the right fish? We have great care guides uh, that we help use and train our team members with to help educate the the customers. We call them neighbors, but help educate the neighbors on what they should be picking or buying to really do it correctly. But some of the biggest things we work on or try and prevent is water quality issues. A lot of our fish we sell, I firmly believe a lot of the industry sells really great, high quality fish. Um, and when there's issues you know, or struggles, it comes down to inconsistent water quality, kind of like we talked about with our tanks of, you know, are they changing the filter correctly? Do they have the right filter that's big enough? And really, they don't understand the water. And for us to help understand, you don't have to be a water chemist. You just have to be able to test a couple parameters and know how to react to those. If you do those couple little things, you'll be in good shape. All makes sense. And uh, definitely, yeah, important. And you mentioned uh, both this and the previous question. There are a lot of advancements. There's a lot more information. You all are doing a great job trying to educate the hobby. So hopefully, yeah, that's definitely changing kind of the way fish are approached and, and uh, they're being kept a lot better. So I guess we, you talked a little bit about some of your top sellers. Which fish would you recommend to beginning hobbyists and maybe which ones might be a little more advanced, but still, you know, doable for, for the next kind of level? Yeah. So we, you know, the, the good thing is, is a lot of our customers and neighbor base is the beginner, you know, and potentially slightly intermediate and, and really where we find the most success, especially setting up new tanks is neon tetras, some guppies, guppies we do really well with. We've got great guppies coming in and out of the stores, goldfish. We've definitely got some great goldfish that come in and out of the stores, you know, really where we try and urge, you know, some caution is your angelfish can be a little bit more delicate. Some of your cichlids we try and especially South American cichlids and some of those guys that they're actually really hardy fish um, and they're great, but they can have a lot of uniqueness to them, whether they're aggressive, whether they get too big or different foods to where it doesn't make a great starter pet. Doesn't mean it's not 
easy and a great pet for the industry. It's just sometimes not the best one to start with. Now, I guess, obviously working with all of your team and all of these different stores all over the place, you must have a lot of FAQs, frequently asked questions, you know, p- potentially from your team, but also, you know, more specifically from a lot of the, your neighbors, your clients or customers. What would be maybe some of the top three, four or five, 10 questions that you get asked that, you know, are really important? You know, usually, you know, the first thing that comes to, comes to my teams are what fish can I put with what? what the compatibilities are, you know, how do I start a new tank? How do I cycle my water? What is cycling my water? What ornaments and decorations do I need? And, you know, what's the best filter? You know, it really, where do your fish come from? Some of those kind of things out there, I think are probably some of the, the top five that we work on, you know, and, and, you know, the, the great thing is, is some of the advancements in the industry has really helped it is, you know, the number one question our stores get is compatibility. And we've worked with, with the industry over, over the years to, to really work on how do we provide that? And we've got different charts and different colors and stuff to say, you've got a top feeder, a middle feeder and a bottom feeder and kind of how to mix it up in the tank and, you know, really just look at where they come from and, and really understanding what kind of temperament they have. But that's, that's probably the biggest thing outside of water quality issues or asking questions about water. And you had mentioned, you know, and I've been in and out. I haven't like maybe looked at some of the new things really closely kind of related to this question. You mentioned the the bio balls. They've got the bacteria in them. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, they're they're a great design. Right now they're being put out by Aquion. I know uh, Casco Pet was a big driver, um, if not the number one driver in, in the technology around these. And, and it is basically a bacteria ball. It has, you know, what you need to basically cycle a tank um, almost immediately. The main goal is, and I'm not going to get into too much water quality when I'm talking to the expert, but, you know, really trying to get that bacteria to reduce or eliminate your ammonia so that the good bacteria can really grow and, and help the water and healthier fish. And the ball doesn't solve all the problems, but it, it solves a significant amount of them and really helps people be successful almost immediately versus trying to take that couple days to seven days to kind of figure it out on their own. Yeah, that was great. And yeah, definitely water has always been kind of an issue and it looks like there's a lot more ways that people can get ahead of that, that problem. So we're kind of out of it to a degree. Obviously, there's still things popping up here and there, but you know, I think we've talked about it over the past you know, or by email or, or text over the past year or two, how would you say, and you alluded to it a little bit, how, how did COVID-19 affect you, you all, your company, the industry, you know, from 2020 to maybe the year after and, and you know, even up till today, what would you say are some of the major things that happened? You know, so I think some of the the big things that happened was, again, it revolves around people. You know, it really changed not only people and team members in the stores and, and kind of, you know, how it was to take care of, of the animals, uh, whether you had more animals or less animals coming in, depending on locations, you know, but really the, you know, consumers, you know, as they were somewhat stockpiling, staying home, you know, kind of changing the mentality of, okay, well, you know, normally we want to add the extra guinea pig or two or add another fish tank, but you know what, we're going to be home. So why don't we? So at the beginning, there was a lot of fear factor there of what it was. We were able to, to stay 
very well staffed. We were able to continue to bring in fish and, and provide the fish and pets that the that our neighbors and, and consumers wanted. Uh, so we we had a great you know entry level into the start of COVID and understanding what some of those needs were going to be. So you know at the beginning of COVID we did have a great positive trend into the live animal world that carried through most of the first almost twelve months of COVID. Once we kind of started anniversarying it, you know we we all kind of thought it would love out and settle down a little bit in our world it did not 2022 was a huge year for us which was on top of a great year the year before so as, as we fast forward through it i think the benefit of the industry was that there were were so many pets that were acquired in homes or whether they acquired more than one of the same pet that's where i think a lot more of the the evolution of, of learning and knowledge and what people know out there grew even more in the last two years, because not only did they add more pets, but they were home a lot with the pets um, and researched them more, learned a little bit more about them. And, and to your point, you know, would we like them to go to professionals like yourself versus other parts of forums on the internet? Yes. But the good thing is, is they they went out and they tried to learn. They tried to educate themselves and, and that always is going to advance the industry. And, you know, that leads us into now to where parts of 22 and, and at the tail end going definitely where we're at now, you know, things tapered off. And we've got back to we're stronger or better than pre-COVID numbers. But again, at, at that same time, we've definitely leveled off because the the live industry, at least on my side, is is very is predictable. It's very seasonal. And we're back to some of those same trends so that we can really understand, you know, what the customers and consumers want and when at what parts of the year, which is a great thing, at least for me and my job, because for two years we weren't able to predict anything. Um, and we just hoped and prayed that we had what everybody wanted uh, at the right time. But, uh, you know, so it, it, it was a great run the last couple of years. And I think, to be honest, I think it was really good for the industry to see more and more households add different pets, exotic pets, unique pets, the amount of fish and tanks that were sold and set up, I, I think was fantastic for the industry. Yeah, that definitely, I can tell you from uh, my own experience, I definitely sat at home and did a lot more <laughs> things here and, uh, you know, over uh, just in general. So we talked a little bit about some of the kind of good changes over the past 20, 25 years. What would maybe be some of the challenges that you see and or things that may be a little bit more difficult than they were 20, 25 years ago? Yeah, you know, when I when I think about this question is a lot of the difficult things that we've been presented with, you know, the, the great thing is the industry's gotten rid of a lot of this, the struggles. And the great thing about live animals is when there's living creatures involved, there's a lot, you know, for the most part, we're taking a much different approach than if we had an issue with a, a bag of dog food. So a lot of those problems, whether it be, you know, health related issues or compatibility issues, stuff like that have, have really gone away. But I, I would think probably the, the biggest struggle that we're, we're always going to fight with that, that's still a struggle and, and not getting better is, you know, some of that consistency, you know, around people or turnover and in, in the education of water, the education of different fish, that institutional knowledge has become a struggle. And it's something that we, at least in, in my company, work extremely hard with, you know, at all times to, to how do we protect that? Um, and how do we grow that? Because again, you know, the industry is, has benefited from that. So some of the struggles there have just been such fast moving new trends, new innovation that sometimes we, you know, the, what worked in the past that, you know, why change something that's not broken. Sometimes things uh, kind of went away for new, better, or thought to be better technology, which makes it more difficult, especially when some of that long-term institutional knowledge, you know, 
may not believe in some of the new technology. And, and I don't think it's a, it's a bad thing as long as we're able to get the credible sources. And that's why I've, I've come to you and, and different people in the industry, because that's probably the most negative challenge we face is the misinformation that's out there. And a lot of my teams and myself, you know, on a regular daily basis have to fight sometimes misinformation and get the right information out there. So I know we've talked about this, you know, in the past, just you and I, but, and I kind of did some additional reading up. I know uh, Pet Supplies Plus has a lot of great community-based initiatives, you know, with fish and with a lot of the other animals as well. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that? And are there any maybe initiatives looking on the uh, aquarium fish side as well as, as the ones that you're going to discuss? Yeah, so that's that's a great question. You know, I I've been happy to you know be on the board of directors for the Pet Agency Network and WPA. You know, and a lot of that is how to grow and and protect the industry and really have fun. You know, with programs like Pets in a Classroom and different things they're doing. We're a huge supporter and always have been of Pets in a Classroom and and teachers can get grants to set up fish tanks and stuff like that. But, you know, when we look at whether it be any kind of program, whether it be therapy program or any kind of different supporting groups that we can do, it's very hard to do with fish. You know, the small mammals, the birds, the reptiles, they can go home at night or on the weekend or during the summer and stuff like that. Fish tanks, once you set them up, you don't move them. And it makes it much more difficult to where when pets in the classroom, I think, really started and and it grew, especially at least for us, and I can only speak for us, we had a lot of success with teachers wanting the grants for fish tanks um, and actually setting up fish tanks and doing a great job with it. You know, I think the last couple of years, the the warm and fuzzies, the ferrets, the hamsters, the guinea pigs, bearded dragons, you know, those kind of things have really been the fun, cool things coming out. But there's still a lot of fish tanks being set up in classrooms and a lot of, you know, not just under plivers kids, but a lot of classrooms that would never be, you know, experiencing some of these fish, getting to see them every day um, and looking for it when they go to school. So we're, we're a huge supporter there. I love working in the communities and, and doing that fun stuff. If I could find a way to do more fun stuff with fish, I absolutely would. And we're always looking for stuff. So it sounds like you got to work with a company to develop a, like a mobile aquarium that the teachers can take home. That's like self-sustaining and they don't have to worry about it. we yeah absolutely <laughs> if we could if we could solve that problem where it doesn't affect the health of the fish and the water quality wheel it in wheel it out all day long so are there any long-term or future goals for uh, PSP that you can share anything um you know kind of cool on the horizon you know, really the biggest thing we're, we're always looking at is do we have the right locations, right? Are we, we're tr- one of the biggest things and the coolest things is, like I said, we're a much smaller footprint and really we're just trying to get to a lot of neighborhoods that, that need us, that don't have a quick, easy access to a, to a great pet store. But at the same time, it's what we're offering, right? You know, we're, we're offering great foods, great products for dogs and cats, but we continue to look at what specialty products do we have and do we have the, the right specialty products and, and my job all day long is do we have the right pets in the store? Are we offering the right fish, the right mix of fish? I look at that every couple months to to make sure are we doing the right thing and and really making sure that we're making people successful. But you know, some of the, you know, I, I think that's probably the biggest thing in the horizon is with our growth rate not changing or wavering on our standards and our commitment to where, you know, if we're going to add 80 plus stores a year um, for the next couple of years, you know, are we, you know, our goal is we're going to open them and they're going to be just as great as the ones that are already open and we're not going to waver from that. And and that's where it can be a challenge for me in the live animal world, trying to add enough live animals for another 80 stores each year. But that's also the fun part of the job. 
because the industry, even on that side of, of breeding and distribution is amazingly advanced from where it was 20 years ago. And it, it just makes my job fun. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time and I uh, definitely appreciate all the time and information and, and your expertise and knowledge, Jay. So thanks very much for that. Thanks to our producer, Mark Winter, for making the show possible. I did want to ask Jay if you had any final thoughts, words of wisdom, you know, maybe secret numbers for the lottery, anything you want to share with our listeners before we close? <laughs> I don't think I have any secrets that will make anybody any money. Wish I did. I would share. But no, you know, I, I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate all the efforts and everything you do on the fish side. You do some great things down there in Florida and, and everybody across the country knows it. I'm glad that I got to be a part of it over the last couple of years. And, and the biggest the biggest thing I'd like to leave people with is let's make tropical fish fun and exciting again. Let's not let it stay stale or stagnant. There's so many cool fish. There's so many cool innovations out there to make fish keeping easy. We just got to make sure people know that and, and get rid of the stigma that it's boring or that it's too hard because it's not. We can fix this. Great, great words of wisdom. I, I love that. So thanks again for joining us, Jay. Really appreciate it. I see that you, uh, the listeners can't see, but you've got a background uh, at the beach. So I'm assuming you're you're actually not at the beach, I know. so <laughs> I might be next week. I, th I oh, think I'm going next week. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us. Everyone, please be sure to check out Jay's web links, which will be found on his Aquarium Mania guest page. Until next time, visit your local aquarium stores, definitely Pet Supplies Plus, and keep your tanks clean and your animals healthy. And stay tuned for the next podcast. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.